Hey, this is Tony Kramer, product specialist with RDO Equipment Company, and you are listening to the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Every day, there are phenomenal advancements being made in the field of agriculture technology. RDO Equipment Company is a leader in agriculture equipment and precision agriculture technology and is here with industry experts bringing the latest news and information from RDO and John Deere. Thanks for joining us on the Agriculture Technology Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 93, and today we are going to be talking about the Precision Dealer Survey. Before we dive into the show, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You can subscribe to the show on the many different podcasting apps that we're streaming this to, such as Apple's podcast app, it's on Stitcher, Overcast, SoundCloud, as well as many others. While you're out there, drop us a review. We'd really love to hear what you think about the show. Lastly, make sure to follow RDO Equipment Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and catch all of our latest videos on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at RDO Tony K. Now with that, let's get back to the show. I am really excited to welcome Dr. Bruce Erickson, who is the Education Distance and Outreach Director at Purdue University. Thanks for joining us on the show today, Dr. Erickson. To get started, I'd really like to hear a little bit more about you and your background and how you got to where you are today. Oh, well, Tony, it's a pleasure to be with you here today. Um, I have a really extensive uh, background. I'm an Iowa farm kid, uh, went to Iowa State for my bachelor's and master's degrees, spent uh, 10 years uh, as an agronomist with uh, Pioneer Hybrid at the time. Of course, it's now Corteva. Then uh, came to Purdue University to work on the Certified Crop Advisor Program, um, and where I was responsible for the International Certified Crop Crop Advisor Exam and the uh, Tri-State Exam. And uh, I mean, it just goes on from there. I I, uh, worked for uh, several years as a consultant in Indianapolis for a company called Agribusiness Group. Came back to Purdue where I ran the site-specific management center and uh, was the assistant director for the Center for Commercial Agriculture. Left Purdue again, uh, which uh, they you know, eventually hired me back, but I left to be the agronomic education manager for the American Society of Agronomy. And so my latest gig here is, um, and of course, all those experiences uh, helped a lot to um, you know, build my level of expertise across a broad spectrum of knowledge. And so uh, for the last four years, I've been in the Department of Agronomy at Purdue building online courses. Uh, We have a beginning agronomy course. We have a precision agriculture course. These are all 12-week courses, all fully online. And then our third course is a nutrient management course. So we've had uh, over 1,000 students around the world take our courses. And so uh, pretty proud of what we've been able to put together here. That is awesome to hear what, what you've done and, like you said, the extensive background you have in both agriculture as well as the education side of things. So it's really neat to hear how all of that wraps into what we're going to talk about today. So Purdue University and, and the research and study that you guys do there, you've done something that, that is referred to as the Precision Dealer Survey. Tell us a little bit about what this Precision Dealer Survey really is. So, I mean, uh, those listeners that are old enough to remember, our current era of precision agriculture started in the mid-1990s. And we started with uh, yield monitors on combines. We're doing some yield mapping. We're doing uh, grid sampling with nutrients and some variable rate of uh, lime and nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. 
But uh, about that same time in the mid-1990s, this Precision Agriculture Dealership Survey was started by uh, a colleague of mine at Purdue. And uh, back in that time period, with everything being relatively new, people were like wondering, uh, you know, what are, what are other people doing? What technologies are they using? Why are they using these technologies? And, and so, um, like, like with anything new, there's a lot of curiosity uh, involved in that. And so uh, we've kept this going, you know, for uh, more than 20 years later here. It's still going. We have the, the and part of the reason that people are interested in this is that we have the, the uh, most, the longest running continuous uh, measure of precision agriculture adoption in the United States. You talked about this being 20 years ago when precision agriculture first started going, and it's really kind of grown since then. How did you go about developing this survey? How did it all start back 20 years ago when when you decided this was necessary? Well, um, some really smart people put the first survey together, and uh, of course the, the, the person that first developed it is now the provost of Purdue University. So... Um, you, you know, his level of intellect. And, and so uh, the, the reason that it uh, was a dealer survey was because uh, at that time it was difficult to get information from or um, uh, contact information for farmers. And we worked with CropLife and, and we still work with CropLife because they have a very extensive and nearly complete mailing list at the time. Everything was mail back then and not email, Internet stuff. And so. Uh, they had a really complete mailing list of dealers and and uh, felt like that was the best route to collect. And so they every you know, every time that we offer it, uh, they administer the survey. We write the survey. And so I, I want to make sure that people realize, too, that it, it is a dealership survey, not a farmer survey. And if you know precision agriculture, of course, you know that uh, the early precision agriculture and a lot, of, a lot of technology is uh, initiated by uh, a dealer or someone that the farmer works with uh, in order to help them to get started in it. And, and so um, we ask questions uh, in the survey about, um, you know, not at the very beginning of the survey because it wasn't in existence then, but later came guidance. Of course, at the beginning it was, uh, you know, are, are your... Uh, rigs set up to uh, do variable rate of fertilizers and then later of course we did uh, uh, guidance types of technologies and then in recent years with the survey we've been adding a lot more data types of questions are you using data to um, analyze information on the farm and those types of things I think you kind of mentioned it back when you were talking about the development of the survey but how exactly is this survey administered well, it was done all by paper up until about, uh, you know, two surveys ago. And then we started administering it uh, by uh, an online survey where we reached the person via email. And, of course, if anyone, uh, you know, is listening to this has ever done a survey, it's, it's really a lot harder than, than uh, you might first suspect. Uh, the way you ask a question and how you administer the survey uh, is very important in the information that you get back. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Uh, I, we've done a couple internal surveys here with <laughs> RDO equipment, and you definitely right. have to ask the question in the right manner to get to get valuable information back. Right, and you want to make sure you get the the 
the correct information back. You don't want your information uh, skewed one way or the other or to be an unrepresentative sample. Uh, you know, you don't only want the big dealers to answer. You don't only want the dealers in certain regions to answer. Uh, you know, one thing that might uh, affect the results, too, is that you don't want the dealers uh, that are just doing precision agriculture. You, you want, uh, you know, the full spectrum of dealers out there to get the most valid results. That brings me perfectly right into my next question that I wanted to ask you. What? So let's talk a little bit about the results. So some of the results that you're getting back, you had kind of talked about all the different levels of questions that you're asking. But let's just, with the first one, what are some of the most popular products and services that are being offered that come back in these survey results? Yeah, and I just thought of something um Tony, that I that I should have mentioned earlier too. It's really hard to get people to respond to a survey too, especially one that takes about 15 minutes uh, to complete. And uh, I, I mean, you know, we all get survey information and look at the email and think, oh, I don't have 15 minutes to you know fill out their survey. But to to uh, get to your question, then uh, in terms of what are some of the results, let me let me just talk at a high level first, and then we can drill down to some of the the specifics here, but at, at a high level, um, I mean, a high percentage of, of dealerships are offering precision services of one kind or another. And that's one of the things that makes it difficult with precision agriculture is, um, you know, it's not just one thing. And that's something that uh, people that aren't involved in precision agriculture on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe it, it's sometimes hard for them to understand. But it's a collection of related technologies that are used differently depending on uh, the dealership, depending if you're a farmer, depending on the size of the farm and the type of, of the crops that you're raising, uh, you know, where your farm is, um, you know, the uh, economic considerations and the environmental considerations, which, you know, we'll, we'll um, hopefully have time to talk about those a little bit. But the, the big picture... Uh, story, I guess, uh, of this survey is that um, when precision agriculture started with, with great excitement, and that's part of the reason why I left my job with Pioneer at the time, is because back in the middle 1990s, there was so much excitement surrounding precision agriculture that we felt like farming would go into a, like a, a whole new era. And uh, it sort of did, but it sort of sputtered then too also in that uh, especially the variable rate technologies or the things where there's a lot of labor and effort involved in collecting data and analyzing that data and then deciding to do with that. Uh, we, we've had a fairly long period of, uh, I, I guess, um, indecision with some of this. And so the initial yield monitoring that would hopefully and soil testing by grids or zones that would lead to some decisions about fertilizing or seeding rates or those kind of things on a variable rate basis. Uh, those types of technologies started out fairly fast, but then we reached a period of disillusionment with them um, because it, we found out it was a much harder to understand what was what was causing those variations in nutrients across the field or yield results across the field and uh, the 
the decisions were much more complicated than we would have ever guessed. And so after the mid-1990s and the late 1990s is when we started getting into guidance technologies. And then shortly following that, we had other technologies that were related to guidance, such as section controllers on planters and sprayers. And uh, it was those technologies that caught on very quickly and were very rapidly adopted by dealers and also by farmers. And so the big picture story is that the automated technologies, the guidance and those related to guidance, have caught on quickly and are highly adopted now. The variable rate technologies and the sensing technologies, those have been slower to be, to, to be adopted. Why do you think that is? Why the the types of technologies, and, and we'll talk a little bit about this uh, just down the road here, but it just really surprises me that certain technologies are adopted so much quicker than others. So I'll try not to, uh, to go too fast, too far, but let's we'll go back. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. So the the adoption of that technology, you you kind of talked about how how it all each one is different and everything. What is what does that adoption look like, and and what is is holding it back? Well, um, I'll, I'll just contrast. Uh, say that um, so. Um, manual guidance or light bar guidance or and then we quickly within a couple of years got to auto guidance on a lot of our tractors and sprayers and implements going through the field those technologies are they're complicated but but compared to data-driven technologies they're relatively simple and so you can have i mean if you would have asked a farmer back in the mid-1990s do you need help steering your tractor or combine and they would have said well Heck no. I mean, why would I ever want something like this? Uh, but, you know, if you ask a farmer today, uh, you know, would it be okay if we took your guidance out of out of your tractor? They would say <laughs> over my dead body, you know. So, um, so I, my, I, my point is, is, is that uh, the, the guidance and the other technologies related are relatively simple. A farmer can put them in. And with guidance, the results are immediate and quite apparent. You're driving straighter uh, with your sprayer turning on and off where it needs to. You're saving, you know, fertilizers or pesticides or whatever product that you're putting on. You might be saving 3% or 5% or whatever, but but you notice that. Uh, with section controllers on planters, uh, you're, you're um, you know, using a, a pallet less of seed perhaps than you were a few years before that, uh, you know, depending on your farming operation. So uh, that in comparison to all of the, uh, the the sensing and the variable rate technologies go hand in hand, you know. So in, in order for us to fulfill the dream, and of course that was the great thing that was so exciting back in the middle 1990s is that um, when, when um, you think about a field, and I mean, you can drive down the road uh, and you know, it's more apparent in some parts of the country than others. And and um, you can see the light areas in the field and the dark areas. And you would think, well, for gosh sakes, I mean, uh, certainly that area may need a little different fertilizer or a little different planting rate or something uh, or more lime or less lime or whatever input is you're putting on. But um, in order to uh, quantify and delineate those areas, you need to do 
you know, gritter zone soil sampling. You need to potentially do remote sensing to look at the crop and see how it's responding. There's a number of sensing technologies that need to be understood. We need to understand the relationship between those. And then we need to decide, well, how much uh, P and K are we going to put on these parts of the field in order to uh, optimize what's going on in any particular part of the field? Or how, what should be our population or whatever variable rate that we're doing? And uh, whereas the, the guidance and the controllers and all that were relatively simple, uh, and we thought all of this variable rate would be relatively simple, too. I mean, uh, you know, there are a few things that are somewhat simple. If you've got a wet spot in the field, I mean, that shows up in a yield map, and that's pretty understandable. But some of these more subtle things where you have, you know, for some reason, the yield in part of the field is, um, you know, say with corn or whatever uh, part of the field is yielding 225 and the other part of the field is yielding 180 perhaps uh, you know why is that there's no seems to be no reason for that uh, and we can't quite figure that out and so that I think is part of the reason why with variable rate technologies with um, various surveys that we've done uh, they've been coming up in recent years but I, I'm looking through the survey here that uh, and many dealers offer them but they have lagged for many years they were running at like uh maybe 40 to 50 percent of dealers offering these variable rate technologies to farmers and those have come up to like in recent years 70 or 80 percent but I, i'm giving you a long-winded answer here but the the key thing is is that uh the uh, you know doing the right thing at the right time in, in at the right rate in the field is more complicated than we ever dreamed. That's one thing I know that that comes up a lot. And one thing that we get asked on the equipment side of things is when we talk precision agriculture and different components of precision ag, guys, the the farmers, the growers always want to see the return on their investment. They want to know exactly what it's going to cost, what their profitability is going to look like. And and in the end, how is it going to help their farm? One right. one last quick question on the on the roadblocks to to adopting this technology. Do you think there are some pressures out there? Are guys refusing to adopt technology because there's too many options or too much pressure from from service and sales providers out there? Well, I mean, you know, there's information overload. You go to the grocery store and you want to buy toothpaste, and it's just like I need a, a, a you know I, I need a tube of toothpaste, but you know, I'm standing there and it's like, well, do I want tartar control? Do I want mint? Do I want gel? Do I want paste? There's a hundred different options. And then you leave the store without buying toothpaste. I've done that a couple of <laughs> times, actually. You know, it's ridiculous. Um, and, and I think the same thing maybe plays with precision agriculture, too. Again, it's this collection of technologies uh, that, that uh, play out different on different farms and, um, you know, you talk about roadblocks or barriers to adoption, a couple things come to mind. First of all, some other surveys that we've done in, in terms of, you know, the, the knowledge level in the countryside shows that dealers are really struggling to find help that understand precision technologies. And uh, it's hard, I mean, it's hard, you know, with the current situation in, in the United States, it's hard to find good labor for a lot of different things, you know, 
let alone, uh, you know, precision technology. And we at the universities are struggling, you know, to prepare them for these jobs, too. It's not necessarily that easy. The other thing that comes to mind, too, is this profitability thing. And I'll I'll just make some comments, and I really don't have a good answer, but um, I don't know if hard times on the farm or with the dealership uh, would drive adoption or would better economic times. We know that like hybrid seed corn uh, came on strong in the 1930s, which is a very tough time on the farm for farmers. Um, And of course it was, uh, you know, as the forties came along, it was more adopted then too. But um, like I say, I don't have an answer on that as to how the profitability is affecting things. That's a very good point that you bring up Dr. Erickson that, you think it would go one way when when there's a lot of adoption, when when times are good and the the ag economy is booming, uh, but like you said in the 30s with hybrid corn that that it became more popular in the 30s when things were really tough. So you think it's going to go one way and it and it goes the other way, but that's how everything works. So right. Uh, one of the last things I want to talk about is. What this survey that is put out there, what does this tell the industry? What kind of information are we getting out of it? And what can we do as industry professionals? What can we learn from this survey? Well, we know that a lot of industry people um, look at this because I talk to people at, uh, you know, like InfoAg or, you know, my various business people that I talk to uh, know about the survey. You know, what what they're trying to do is to get a big picture feel of the industry as to where things are going, because they may be selling a product or service related to this, and they need to know the business environment, and they need to know what technologies are being adopted and uh, what aren't and why and some of those reasons. And and so uh, we feel that it provides, uh, you know, probably more utility for agribusiness than a farmer to take a look at this information. I completely agree, especially from the dealership side, the equipment dealership side. Now we don't we don't offer much of uh, or we don't offer any agronomic services. It's more so the just the dealership, the hardware, and the the uh, equipment optimization. But it a survey like this, and I I've read through back. Uh, you gave me the link to all the the different ones that we'll talk about here in a minute, but. I read I read back through all of the different survey results and it it really can help us uh, from a dealership side to understand what the what everything looks like and where we need to go with our services and levels of support. So it's really cool to to utilize this survey as a tool. Right. And I know like, um, you know, I I don't think this is necessarily related to the survey, but I know a a lot of uh, equipment dealerships are stepping up their agronomy game because, uh, you know, equipment uh, has always played a key role in producing the crops. I mean, uh, yield monitors and tillage equipment and planting equipment uh, and, uh, you know, telematics, uh, they're all tied to equipment. And so there's a very integral role for equipment, obviously, uh, a dealership to be involved in the crop production and the agronomy side of things. I completely agree with you there. With this survey, so when is the next time this survey will be administered? Well, um, we just uh, finished the online part of the 2019 survey just last week. Uh, And and that would be uh, the first part of May. And so um, 
we should have uh, fresh results from the 2019 survey. Uh, the last I talked to CropLife, they were planning to publish them in the July edition of CropLife magazine. And then shortly after that, um, and it's on, available online too, if you, you know, don't happen to be a su subscriber to that, those will all be put online. And then we go through and develop a full report. It's, um, you know, 25 pages or so of uh, our interpretation of the results, which again in crop life is, um, you know, a, a three or four page um, highlights, but, but we'll get into the, you know, get into the weeds with it here with our full report, probably in the fall of 2019. And, um, all, all of the surveys, I provided you with the link, I think, but it, but if you just, uh, if you go online and just search for um, Purdue Crop Life uh, Precision Dealer Survey, you'll go to a, to a place at the Center for Commercial Agriculture, uh, excuse me, the Center for Food and Agribusiness at Purdue. I misspoke there. And uh, that will then um, lead you to the survey. That uh, was a perfect segue into the, the last question I have for you, Dr. Erickson. Um, you talked there about the link to the survey. Where can people go to learn more, whether it's about you yourself or what, what Purdue University does or, or anything that's tied to the, uh, the Precision Egg Survey? Where can they go? Who can they talk to? There are a number of uh, university sites around that uh, have information about precision agriculture. We're in the process of revamping our digital agriculture, and that seems to be the more modern common term used now is, is digital agriculture versus precision agriculture. But, but we're going to be launching a, a new website here in the near future. It's not, not up yet, but um, there's um, the uh, Precision Ag Institute that uh, is run by CropLife is a good place to go. I think the main thing is is just do a search for precision agriculture and you'll find a lot of information. I was part of a group that uh, developed a number of publications on data for the United Soybean Board. And if you go, you know, do a search for USB Tech Tool Shed, uh, there's a number of articles there about utilizing data on the farm. So um, there's a lot out there, but it's maybe not uh, well collected in one location like we would like it to be. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. There's so much information out there, whether it's your, your local universities, there's a lot, of, especially the upper Midwest, all of the, the work we do in agriculture, many different universities. I know my go-tos are, of course, uh, North Dakota State University and the University of Minnesota. They have very good information on a lot of different websites. So uh, I just want to thank you, Dr. Erickson, for sitting down with me and discussing the Precision Dealer Survey. Uh, it's really neat to see some of those results that come through and that, that link that you provided me to go back and look at all the previous surveys. It's really cool to see how the, the adoption and the services provided have changed over the years. So thanks again for sitting down and discussing this with us. Oh, my pleasure. You hit me with my favorite topic here. So a uh, pleasure to talk to you. Visit rdoequipment.com backslash podcast to listen to new episodes and catch up on any that you have missed. You can also listen and subscribe to our podcast on any device or streaming service.